Amen. Will you please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. We're going through the Gospel of John in our sermon series, and we're going to finish before the Thanksgiving season. We spent the last five or seven years in the fall going through the Gospel of John section by section so we can get the whole thing preached through so we can hear from the teaching of God's Word all in context. And today we're in John 20, finishing John 20. And then we'll be in the final chapter, John 21, starting next Sunday. If you don't have a Bible with you, please take one from us. Not the person in your rose Bible, but we have giveaway Bibles in the foyer. You'll see them, the blue Bibles, uh, right by the doors. Please take one. And if you have a friend who could use a Bible, take one or two or three. Because it's God's words that change lives. Not my words, not your words, but God's words change lives. If you don't have a Bible in front of you or access to one, this sermon text is reprinted on the back of the bulletin. Well, as you're turning and finishing turning to John 20, I want to begin our message with nine famous words. My very excited mother just served us nine pizzas. I may be dating myself, but back in the 1980s when I was in elementary school, there were nine planets, and that's how we memorized them. M-V-E-M-J-S-U-N-P. The ninth one was Pluto. Do you remember Pluto? Never forget. It's no longer a planet, but they told us it was, and we believed them. We believed that Pluto was a planet because what else did my very excited mother just serve us? If there's no N and P, it's just N. Nachos? Sign me up. Back then, we believed in Pluto. I believed in Pluto. I believed it was a planet. However, I had never seen Pluto. I've never seen it. I've seen pictures of it. I have never seen Pluto. No human being has ever seen Pluto without the help of a telescope. It's too far away, but we believed because they told us, and there was a mnemonic device to remember it. Faith can sometimes feel like Pluto. You've never seen Jesus in person. You've been told that there was a Jesus. You've been told from the scriptures and from someone who shared the gospel with you that there really was a Messiah called Jesus. He really did live a perfect life. He really died on a cross. He really was crucified. He really was raised. You've been told that, but you've never seen him with your eyes. And if you learned about Jesus as a child, like you learned about Pluto, then as you grow up, you come to learn that other people have different views of Jesus. So you've studied Jesus for yourself. But sometimes, since you can't see Jesus in person right now, walking around this room, sometimes you doubt, even though you believe. Sometimes you doubt. Some believers doubt. Maybe all believers doubt sometimes. And one of the people who doubted Jesus was a disciple of Jesus who had seen him in person. And his name was Thomas. He had faith in Jesus, but he also had some doubts about Jesus. And today we're going to see what Jesus does with your doubts. 
That's what we're going to see. Pastor Aria prayed in light of that. We're going to see from our text, what does Jesus do when one of his disciples has doubts? And maybe you've got the doubts or maybe a loved one has the doubts. So we need to know what Jesus does with that. Because your life does not depend on what you believe about Pluto. It's a planet in my heart. But your life today And your life, no matter what you face this week, and your eternal life does depend on what you believe about Jesus. Let me pray first, and then we'll read our text. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for letting us doubt and not shaming or crushing or forsaking us when we do. Thank you that though we have faith in your son Jesus and we on, at times doubt, you still love us. So for every doubting heart in the room right now, meet with them. Do for their hearts what they need. Draw near to them and help them draw near to you. For those in the room with no doubt right now, no strong doubt at least, teach us, nourish us, help us to see those who doubt like you see them, and help us when we doubt to run back to you in faith. Thank you for preparing a meal from your scriptures for us right now. Help us receive that meal for our good and the nourishing of our soul and our mind from your loving hand. In Jesus' name we thank you and pray. Amen. John 20, starting in verse 24, and I'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 31. This is the good and glorious word of our Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why did John write these stories down? 
Why did John write down an account of what actually happened in the life and ministry, death and resurrection, and post-resurrection appearances of Jesus? Why? Verse 31, he wrote it down so that you who is reading the gospel of John and we as a church so that we might believe and have life. That's why it's written down. Why is the scripture written down for us? Why do we have access to it? So that we might believe and have life. That's why he wrote it down. Do you want life? It's in here. Do you want to believe? It's in here. Up to this point in the story, there had been 12 disciples. One of them, Judas, has already sold Jesus out. He's gone already. He hasn't been replaced yet by the one who would replace him. So there were 11 disciples of Jesus at this point. Ten of them were there Easter Sunday night when Jesus shows up the night of the resurrection. Hey, everybody, peace be with you. Travis preached about it last Sunday. But Thomas wasn't there. Those 10 had seen Jesus alive after the resurrection and they believed and they are already experiencing life in his name. And that's why John wrote this down so that you and I who weren't there that Sunday night might believe and have life in his name. Because there was one guy who hadn't seen Jesus yet, who only heard the testimony from others. I've seen the Lord. My life's been changed by Jesus. He hadn't seen and he hadn't believed. This story tells us about Thomas doubting, but then believing so that he might have life. And it's written down so that you and I might believe and have life in his name. The text has four parts, four parts. There's doubt, there's Jesus, there's blessings, and there's mission. Doubt, Jesus, blessings, and then mission. First is doubt. Let's look at verse 24 again. Now Thomas, right? To contrast him from the rest of the disciples who had already seen and believed. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now Thomas. Thomas. Why does it say now Thomas? Because the author wants the readers, many of whom had never seen Jesus. The gospel of John was written to a people who many who would not have seen Jesus risen after the resurrection. The author wants us to consider that some disciples of Jesus have serious doubts about him. Let me say this again. Some believers doubt Did you know that? Did you know that? Let me just stop there. The author, John, wants everyone to go. A lot of people believed, but some believers doubted. What do you do when you doubt? Because I know what the enemy says. As soon as you doubt, as soon as you doubt the story of Jesus, the story of the resurrection, as soon as you doubt that God's good, as soon as you doubt that God can hear you, As soon as you doubt that God is for you, not against you, the enemy says, you're a failure. The enemy says, what a weak faith you have. The enemy says, you probably don't even believe. The enemy says, what a loser spiritually you are. That's what the enemy 
says. And because we have a hint of doubt in our hearts in those moments, we're tempted to believe the lies of the enemy. That maybe I'm fake. Maybe I'm a fraud. Maybe I don't believe. Maybe I'm putting on a show. Maybe doubt is all the proof I need that I don't believe in Jesus. And John wrote this down. Now Thomas to remind us that even believers doubt sometimes. And so if you doubt, reject the lies of the enemy and read the scriptures and see what Jesus does when his people doubt. Because I have good news for you. What is Jesus going to do when believers doubt? Believers doubt. Thomas was doubting. Consider the situation Thomas was in. The resurrection of Jesus is hard to believe. Let's just be honest about it. It sounds unbelievable. A guy was walking around saying, they're going to kill me and I'm coming back. And that just doesn't happen. So it is hard to believe. It sounds unbelievable. It was back then and it is today. The resurrection, this story that someone would save us from our sins by dying and rising again from the dead sounds hard to believe. It was back then and it is today. Back in 2020, Lifeway Research did some research on what Americans believe. I was actually really surprised when I saw this. They discovered how many Americans believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead as recorded in Scripture. So how many Americans believe Jesus literally rose from the dead as recorded in Scripture as of 2020? Let me take a poll first. Raise your hand if you think it's more than 25% of Americans. More than one in four believe Jesus literally rose from the dead as it's recorded in Scripture. All right, maybe a third of you. All right, more than 33% of Americans believe Jesus literally rose from the dead as recorded in Scripture. Okay, more than 50%. I see some more hands going up later. This is, do you know how percents work? More than 60%. I know, I see it's going up and down, up and down. Finally, more than 66%. How many of you think more than two-thirds of Americans believe Jesus rose from the dead as recorded in Scripture? Okay, you can put your hands down. That was the percent, 66%. Can you believe that? When you think about bringing the good news of Jesus to your neighbors, to your friends, to your loved ones, as of a few years ago, two-thirds of Americans say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. The hardest thing in the whole Bible to believe. Now, is their life changed by it? Different question. But two-thirds of Americans believe that. He literally rose from the dead as recorded in the scriptures. That's really good news for us on our mission to bring the good news to our friends and loved ones. Two out of three. But one out of three Americans doubt the resurrection just like Thomas did. So good news. Two-thirds of Americans believe. Let's just show him Jesus. One-third of Americans doubt. Let's show him Thomas. And what Jesus does for Thomas. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas had missed out on the first post-resurrection appearance to all of the gathered disciples. Now verse 25. So Thomas, he used to believe. He has his doubts. And now he hears the testimony. Verse 25. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
Now, that's the first Christian testimony. That's what they said. Mary Magdalene says it. I've seen the Lord. Peter and John, we've seen the Lord. Right? The report, the first testimony is we have seen the Lord. So basic Christian belief. And when we go through our statement of faith, this is what we're talking about. The basic Christian testimony includes believing that Jesus rose from the dead. He really died. He really rose again from the dead. He really ascended into heaven. He's really at the right hand of the Father. He really is alive. And so the disciples go to Thomas. We've seen the Lord. And then Thomas says this, still verse 25. Unless, so he gives a qualification. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, remember where the spear went in, I will never believe. What is Thomas saying? He's a believer who doubts. He says, I want to see the proof. I want to touch the proof. I'll believe it when I see it. Or as the internet generation says, picks or it didn't happen. That's what we say. When we say that, we mean that thing you're sharing sounds unbelievable. I need more proof. Thomas is asking for evidence that Jesus really is back from the dead. And he wants really good evidence. He wants to know that it's really Jesus, not some other dude who looks and talks like him. He wants to see the scars from the nails and the spear. And so what we see when John writes, now Thomas, is the reality that some believers doubt. Some believers doubt. And so our main question this morning is what does Jesus do when we doubt? What does Jesus do with us when we doubt? Well, that's part two. Number one, doubt. Some believers doubt. Part two, Jesus shows up. What does Jesus do with doubt? Here's the answer if you're taking notes. Jesus brings Jesus to doubters. Okay, that's the answer. What does Jesus do with doubt? Jesus brings Jesus to doubters. That's what he does. Look at verses 26 through 28. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Stop there. They were regularly gathering together. This was probably for worship and prayer. And then it says, and Thomas was with them. He wasn't there the week before Easter Sunday. Now he's with them. And look at the next phrase. How about this? Although the doors were locked. Do you remember why they were locked in the message from last week? They were locked because the disciples were afraid. It was a fearful time. In this story, in the first century, it was dangerous and costly to believe in Jesus. Going out into their world saying, I believe in Jesus, was dangerous. It cost them something with their friends, with their neighbors, with their boss, if they had a boss, with their community. And today, sometimes, for some of you, it costs you, doesn't it? They locked their doors. It was still a fearful time when it cost something to believe in Jesus. Maybe you know what that's like. And what does Jesus do? We continue in our verse. The end of verse 26. Jesus came and stood among them and said, what did he say? Oh, you weak faith people. What's wrong with you? I can't believe you didn't trust. Is that what he says? Why didn't you have more faith? Come on. What's wrong with you? You're just faking it. Is that what he says? No. What does he say? Peace be with you. I am going to walk 
into your doubt-filled room, your doubt-filled mind, and I am going to prove myself to you so that you might have peace. That's what Jesus does. Jesus brings Jesus to doubters. Verse 27. Then he says to Thomas, not, why didn't you believe? He says, put your finger here. In other words, I could hear your doubt in your mind and I love you enough to show up and end your doubts. Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This is beautiful. Jesus could tell. He knew from a distance what Thomas's doubts were. And he gets himself into the locked room and says, I will show you why you can trust me. That's what Jesus does. Jesus brings Jesus to doubters. I want to notice three things from those verses. First, what does Thomas need to believe? What does Thomas need? Second, where is Thomas? And third, notice his testimony, right? Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Three quick things to notice in part two, Jesus. First, notice what Thomas needs to believe. When someone doubts Jesus, what do they need in order to believe? They need Jesus himself to show up. That's what they need, Jesus himself to show up. When you doubt, you could watch a video on evidence for the resurrection and you will not believe unless Jesus shows up. And Jesus can show up because he is omnipresent. As the second person of the Trinity, he is with you when you doubt. And he can show up for your heart and your mind to calm your fear and discourage your doubts. He will help you doubt your doubts. This means something for us, though. We cannot convince people of Jesus by clever arguments alone. Or even by proving every year when they do the documentaries on the empty tomb that yes, he was raised and there's no other sensible explanation for the resurrection. He really was raised, but we can't prove it. We have to pray when we evangelize that Jesus would show up and change a heart. That's what is needed. Notice what is needed. Jesus himself is needed. Second, notice where Thomas brings his doubt. Thomas brings his doubt to church. Thomas brings his doubt to church. Okay, he walks into the church, the the worship service among the early church, in a sense. They're still afraid of persecution. The doors are locked because they're afraid, because of how scary it is to believe. You would have thought the last person they wanted in that room was a doubter. Was that a good time for one of the disciples to have doubts? Did they want a doubter on board? Should the doubter have stayed home? We think about this in military situations, right? In the Old Testament, do you know in Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, the Old Testament law says that you can't join the army if you're afraid. Deuteronomy 28, and the officers shall speak further to the people and say, is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. When you're at war, when you have something really dangerous going on, the last thing you want is a doubter in the room, right? But Thomas brought his doubts to church. What about faith? If you doubt, come to church. If you doubt, open your scriptures and run to Jesus. And if you think your doubt disqualifies you, it doesn't. 
Come to church. Sing a worship song. Talk to your friends about your doubts. And if you don't doubt, and a brother or sister in Christ shares a doubt with you, welcome that. Thank them for sharing their doubt with you. Thank them for not fighting that battle with Satan, our enemy, on their own because he's really good at making doubters feel miserable. Thank them and pray with them that God would send Jesus to show up and peace be with you. That's what Jesus does. Thomas brings his doubt to church. So if you doubt next Sunday, come to church. Sing the songs. Doubt your doubts. Sing louder than your doubts. Thomas doubted. He went to church and Jesus brought Jesus to him. So do you doubt? Maybe you don't. Maybe someone you love does. Maybe someone you're evangelizing does. Bring that to Jesus. Maybe you doubt that God's laws are good. Bring that to Jesus. Maybe you doubt that God understands how much suffering you're going through. Bring that doubt to Jesus. Maybe you doubt that God can forgive what you did this past month. Maybe you doubt. Bring that doubt to Jesus. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Bring your doubt to church. Bring your doubt to Jesus. Third, notice the testimony. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. That's true faith. What we say when we doubt is Jesus is Lord. I will trust him. I will follow him. I'll do what he says. I will love him. I'll ask him for forgiveness. And also, my God, Jesus is God. He really was God and man, fully God and fully man. He really could be our sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sins. The word became flesh as John begins his gospel with. Jesus is God and Jesus is our Lord. Well, that's the testimony of Thomas. Jesus shows up and brings Jesus to the doubter. Now Thomas no longer doubts. So why don't we call him believing Thomas instead of doubting Thomas? Because he doubted for like eight days and he believed the rest of his life and passed that faith on to the next generation. Well, there's doubt, and then there's Jesus, and then for all who believe, there's blessings. Blessings, that's point three. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Isn't it interesting that we don't have a record of Thomas actually touching Jesus' hands and side? He just saw and believed and makes that confession. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. It's not recorded in the Gospel of John here, whether or not Thomas did. But Jesus, excuse me, is saying to him, you've believed now that you've seen. But the people who are reading the Gospel of John when it was written and passed around to the first churches, they hadn't, many of them hadn't seen Jesus raised from the dead. So they had to believe with less evidence than Thomas. They had to believe the testimony of the Christians who went out and said, my life has been changed by Jesus. He was raised. Come to him. You might believe and have life. So blessed are those like us today who have believed, even though we haven't seen the risen Jesus in person. The word blessed doesn't always mean happy. And that's good news because I'm not always happy. 
Raise your hand if you're always happy 100% of the time. And I don't want to see any hands up because I will make you unhappy because I will call you a liar in front of your family. Blessed does not mean happy, jovial, smiling. Every day is a birthday party. That's not what blessed means. The word blessed means good life. It means right with God. It means you know you've been forgiven. It means you know you have a Lord you can trust. It means you know who has created you. It means you know you're loved by God. It means you know God is for you, not against you. It means you know you have access to what Jesus offers. When you doubt, he will give you his peace. He will give you his trust. When you're feeling hopeless, he will give you his hope. When you don't feel like you have abundant life, he will give you his life. He will give you his light, his endurance, his glory. Blessed are those who believe. That's what Jesus gives. And that's what blessed means. He gives it to everyone who believes. Why was this written down? That you might believe and have life. The blessed life, the abundant life. Not smiling, jovial, happy all the time. But the kind of blessing that comes from faith that you can't get with those little things that make you smile now and then. It's eternal life and the blessings of a relationship with God, and it's free, purchased by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. It's paid for, so repent of your sins and believe. See Jesus in the story and believe. But maybe you still doubt. If you don't, Someone you love probably doubts this week. Well, guess what? If you doubt, Jesus hears that doubt right now. Whatever you doubted this year so far about God has been heard by Jesus. He's prayed for you in light of that doubt. And we know that because Thomas was talking to the disciples that week. I, I heard your testimony. I know what you're saying. But unless I see, unless I touch his hands inside, Jesus, outside of the room, hears that doubt and walks through a locked door and says, I'll be with you. I will give you peace. So if you've doubted, Jesus knows every ounce that you've doubted. And he's for you. And he wants to be near you. So if you doubt today, call on Jesus. Look to the scriptures daily. Sing your favorite worship songs and see Jesus. Read of his mighty deeds. Sing of his love for you. Hear of his sacrifice. And consider the testimony of Thomas. When you doubt, go to Thomas's testimony. 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, if you believe because you've seen me, blessed are those like you, Thomas, who have doubted, but who will believe one day. That's you and me. If we've believed, there's blessings for us. Run to Jesus in your doubt. So there's doubt, there's Jesus, there's blessings. But whenever you're blessed, it's too good to keep to yourself. So forth and finally, there's a mission. There's doubt, there's Jesus, there's blessings. And finally, Mission. Look at verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
Remember what we said Jesus does with doubters. Jesus brings Jesus to doubters. That's what he does. And we as a church are sent on the mission to make disciples. Therefore, what does the church need to do? What is our assignment? What is our mission? When it comes to those who doubt, the church brings Jesus to doubters. That's our mission. Your mission this week, if you know a doubter, is bring Jesus to the doubter. Jesus brought Jesus to the doubter, and he sends us to bring Jesus to doubters. And the stories are there. These are written down so that people might believe and have life. So let's go to our friends and loved ones with a Bible. Remember that research. Two-thirds of Americans believe, at least a little bit, that Jesus was really raised from the dead. Now, one author who was writing about that research said, This news makes me feel a bit heartbroken, even though I'm encouraged. Because the idea that someone would say they believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, and that belief has so little impact on their life that they're not even part of a church, that's tragic. The author said it exposes the danger of cultural Christianity. I mean, think about that. People are saying, your friends and loved ones and neighbors and classmates and teachers and strangers and politicians, they're saying, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they're also saying by their actions that the fact that a guy said, I'm going to die for the sins of the world and rise again, and I believe he did that, doesn't really make any difference in my life. That's tragedy. Our hearts should have compassion on those who doubt who doubt the reality of what difference a risen Savior should make. But two-thirds of Americans believe that. But they don't have, all have the life Jesus offers. So that's our mission. Let's bring Jesus to doubters. Thomas brought his doubt to church. Your friend or loved one might be willing to take the next step. Maybe you would invite them to church. There's a seat available for them. They will hear the good news of Jesus Christ preached from this word, which are the only words that can change a life. Not mine, the words of God from Scripture. Maybe you could have a Bible study with them. Maybe they could come to your growth group. We've got a lot of growth groups here. Maybe they'll come to your growth group. Maybe they'll just be willing to meet with you for coffee and talking about life. Hey, how's it going? Where are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are you looking forward to? Ask a lot of questions over coffee. And maybe they'll share your doubt. And then Thomas brought his doubt to church. A friend or loved one might bring their doubt to you. And then you can bring Jesus to them. We bring Jesus to people through the study of the scriptures. But there's one other way that people will know. John 13, earlier in the gospel, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we want to show people the Jesus of the scriptures in Bible study, in conversation over coffee. Hey, let me tell you what I believe about Jesus. What do you believe? Let me hear what you believe. But we also need to show it to this world with our actions. The love we have for one another is a testimony to the world that the love of Jesus is real and is real in our midst. So with our words and God's word and our actions, we need to bring Jesus to doubters. But one third of Americans don't believe in the resurrection. So they doubt. So we need to bring Jesus to them. That's why we're considering a building program. 
so that we continue to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ through the preaching and singing and praying and fellowship around God's word, even to the next generation. There are people who aren't even born yet in this community who we want to hear in their doubts about the risen Savior, Jesus. So the mission is verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God's word and the love of his people are how people are going to believe and have life in his name. Blessed are those who believe not having seen. This stuff is in the Bible so that people believe. So I have one question for you. Who do you know who doubts? Maybe it's you. Run to the Lord Jesus. Maybe it's a loved one or a friend or even a stranger you know, a stranger you know about. Bring those doubts to Jesus. Open God's word, pray about your own doubts. Open God's word, pray about your friend's doubts. And if it's a loved one, invite them to church. Invite them to your small group, a Bible study or coffee. Or invite them over for pizza. Or invite them over for the Eagles game. Or invite them over for one of the Phillies games. We got a bunch this week. Lots of opportunities. Or maybe bake some cookies for your neighbor and bring them over and say, I went to church and I heard about the love of Jesus. And so I'm baking cookies and giving them to my neighbors because Jesus loves me and I want to love others. That's a way to show the love of Jesus to others. The church is on the mission to bring Jesus to doubters. Because we don't have Jesus walking around, but we have the scriptures recorded for us so that people might believe and have life. Thomas said, show me the proof. And Jesus showed up and John wrote it down. And those men, including Thomas, passed the message on to the next generation. And they said to people, we've seen the risen Jesus. Believe and have life in his name. And they passed it on to someone else. And they shared the gospel with someone else. And those people shared the gospel with someone else. And those people shared the gospel with someone else And eventually someone heard that news from one of them who heard it from Thomas who shared it with you so that you might believe and have life. And for 2,000 years, the church has been on the mission to bring Jesus to doubters. So we're on mission. We're sent to this world We believe God blesses us and then he sends us to bring Jesus to those who doubt that they might believe and have life and be blessed. Just like Thomas. If you doubt, Jesus knows. Run to him in your doubt. And if you've got a loved one who doubts, bring Jesus. Jesus to them and we'll be blessed. Let me pray. Father, we have believed and we're blessed. We have life in Jesus' name. Sometimes we doubt. Forgive us for our doubts. Quiet the lies of the enemy when we doubt. Father, remind us that when we doubt, We need to just run back to you in song, in prayer, in the reading of your scriptures.
Thank you for all these tools to exercise our faith. If we doubt today, help us share that doubt with a brother or sister in Christ that they might encourage us and pray with us and point us to your son and our savior, Jesus. Lord, thank you that we can bring our doubts to you and you bring your peace to us when we doubt. Lord, this world is full of people who say they believe in the risen Savior, but whose lives aren't changed by it. So, Father, help us bring Jesus to them. Help us be on your mission to bring Jesus to doubters so that many might believe and have life in his name. And, Lord, you promise blessings for your people. So, Lord, hold us fast this week and remind us of your love and your blessings that Jesus earned for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.